welcome to Phoenix Foundation, an episode-by-episode podcast review of CBS's action-adventure series, MacGyver. I'm Patrick O'Reilly. And I'm Richard Wells. And today we'll be tackling Season 2, Episode 11, Phoenix Under Siege. The original air date for this episode was January 5th, 1987. We're in 87 now. Um, seems like it was maybe supposed to air one one episode earlier yeah. on the on the fifteenth uh, of December since it takes place on largely on the fourteenth of December mm-hmm. and then carries over into the morning of the fifteenth. Would have been perfect. But um, but maybe the schedule got shifted for whatever reason. Um, this was directed by uh, Gilbert M. Shilton, who is a very prolific TV director, and it was written by uh, the teleplay with Stephen Cornish, who we've had a bunch of times on here. Um, he's also he was uh, EP on uh, Twenty Four. Which okay. I still really haven't watched any of, and uh, I'm actually currently uh, working on dailies for a TV movie that he wrote, and um, I went over to Paramount Ranch where uh, part of uh, Three for the Road was shot mm-hmm. recently, and uh, when I first got there, after I realized that it had been in a MacGyver episode, they were uh, wrapping up a shoot for the same thing that I was doing dailies on that was written by Steve Cronish. Um, I don't think I can really elaborate any further on the project but right right um i just thought that was funny that that they happened to be shooting a thing that i was working on and that it related back to macgyver in some way um and yeah so we finally have john anderson back as harry jackson yeah finally it's uh it's been a long absence uh, almost a full season if you go from season one episode 10 to season two episode 11 so that's 22 episodes of no harry so it's good to have him back Mm -hmm. um and, uh, yeah, so why don't we get a brief overview of what this episode is about. Um, this episode is your classic Die Hard situation, where MacGyver and Harry are trapped inside the Phoenix Foundation while uh, some bad guys are trying to blow it up, and they're in a cat-and-mouse game of evasion and uh, trying to stop them. Worth pointing out, by the way, that this is two years before Die Hard. So it, It's the same scenario. Yeah, but I'm saying Die Hard ripped off a MacGyver episode. That's fair enough. Thing. That's fair. Um, but it does have a lot of similarities, uh, as, as we'll, we'll cover a lot of them. But, I mean, just for starters, the fact that um, terrorists are taking over a skyscraper mm-hmm. in Los Angeles. Uh, they intend to detonate a, a weapon here. And uh, and it's nighttime. And, <laughs> uh, what are some the, other, mo- the most important what aspect What are some other that arbitrary heard. similarities? Uh, they're both uh, in the Northern Hemisphere. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Los Angeles, Los Angeles specifically. Um, although one is uh, probably on the lot over at uh, Paramount, and then one is actually the Fox Building in mm-hmm. Century City. Um, but yeah, so there's other things that they have in common, and I'm pretty sure that that movie was stolen was it, from this. I was just using it as a reference for the audience, Pat. You didn't have to. <laughs> no, but I, I I think that it it bears enough of a resemblance that it's worth pointing out that this wasn't something that because MacGyver has in the past taken popular movies and said, "Here's an episode that's like that movie since people liked it." Mm-hmm. This is not a case of that happening. Right. This right. is something that Stephen Cronish and his made-up friend John I. Quivula or Kuvula came up with. Um, I say made up friend because uh, the the story by credit on this is John I. Kuvula, Quivula. Not sure how to pronounce it. K O I V U L A. Um, this is his only credit in anything ever. Hmm. So I, I have a feeling he was a friend of the production and was just like, what if you did like an episode where a person's uh, trying to blow up the Phoenix Foundation and they're trapped in the building with the people? And they were like, all right, well, I'll write an actual script, and then you can go back to being a dentist or whatever you yeah. do. Um, yeah, but uh, so we open with MacGyver doing some uh, chemistry. Right, yeah, he's house. doing Yeah, he's doing some uh, tabletop chemistry. He, he says he, he got his first chemistry set when he was 10 years old, and he's been fiddling with it ever since. Yeah, and it's kind of weird because he seems to be using ev- actually every piece of equipment that yeah. you could possibly use. It's like a giant Rube Goldberg machine. Mm-hmm. But that produces eggnog. <laughs> yeah, it produces non-alcoholic eggnog. See, I, I don't know what the process for eggnog is. I thought it was nobody made, does. I think that's part of the joke. I I, th- I always thought it was it was alcoholized after the fact. Well, I I always thought that too because I almost always only buy non-alcoholic eggnog. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes I'll add rum to it, for, but for the most part, I prefer non-alcoholic eggnog. And 
most stores don't sell it with the rum in it. Like, mm-hmm. I maybe that wasn't always the case, but at least now, like most places, you can't put the alcohol in eggnog because it would go bad before somebody even right. bought it. So, non-alcoholic eggnog isn't like a thing that you can't buy in stores. It's just a thing that you can't make in general. <laughs> And this is December 14th, so it would be in stores right now. I would understand if he was doing this in, like, July, when mm-hmm. you desperately want eggnog and you have to wait six months for it. But um, Makes but yeah. no sense now. But either way, I feel like this is another example of me and MacGyver being kindred spirits because I love eggnog enough that I'm almost, I'm almost willing to go get all the chemistry equipment and figure out how to make it myself. I'm sure there's a wiki. <laughs> um, but while he's doing this, there's a... It's, we should mention that it's a dark and stormy night outside. Right, it's pouring in Los Angeles, which yeah. is a rarity, but enough of a rarity that I think that it actually was raining, and then they shot it. Mm-hmm. Because, um, I mean, there's a couple shots that are faked, but there are more shots that look like it's legitimately pouring for yeah, an entire yeah, yeah. city block, and I don't think they faked that for right. this show. We do, we do have this thing out here called El Nino right. that comes every, every about every like five to ten years. It was uh, uh, popularly played by Chris Farley at one point. <laughs> those of you who don't habla espanol, El Nino is Spanish for the Nino. Yeah, it's the tropical storms that come in uh, once every 600 years or six years. I don't six know. years, six Something or 600, like between six and 600. It definitely has a number in it. Um so uh, there's this dark figure who's looming outside and slowly making his way into MacGyver's apartment yeah. while he's working. He's, it's very, I know what you did last summer, just mm-hmm. like dripping wet and like staring up as lightning is striking and thunder is blaring yeah, over the house. You, the only thing that you're missing is like a hook or something right, being yeah. dragged across the floor <laughs> as, as this guy walks in. And so MacGyver is talking about being really distracted that, you know, because he's working on his top secret formula yes that you know the whole world seems to disappear and slip away and you wouldn't notice anything just as the figure gets closer and enters his apartment yeah and and we can already see that it's clearly a non-malevolent person yeah it's, it's he's a very gentle elderly face yeah and and so but the music's still dramatic the yeah. music's still building up to this dramatic moment of what's he gonna do when he gets to macgyver and then macgyver just goes oh hi harry oh it's a raining out harry yeah <laughs> It's like, no, that thunder is just a dry thunder. And so, you know, they, they have like a kind of a moment and MacGyver tries to get him to try the non-alcoholic eggnog. And the Harry is uh, is concerned that MacGyver may have added the wrong kind of bromide. Yeah. Which, I don't know if, I mean, I'm not a chemist, but I don't, I don't think there's that many kinds of bromide. <laughs> I yeah, think bromide is, is one chemical. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's an element. Or, it's, well, bromine is an element. Right. It's an Bro- ion. Yeah. But it's it would just be like, they're, they're, if you by the wrong kind of bromide, he just meant a different ingredient. Yeah. <laughs> um, while they're kind of sipping on their eggnog, they walk over to a large calendar that MacGyver has. Uh, it's like a magnetic calendar where there's like a little hoop that indicates what day it is. Yeah. Um, what and, day of the week and of the month? Mm-hmm. There's two two magnets. Yeah, but wouldn't the the day of the week indicate the day of the month? Well, they would, yeah. The day of the month would indicate the day of the week. Yeah, yes. it's like, it it wasn't like a calendar that was just like a long string of numbers, and you just put it, and then you would say, "Oh, I don't know if this is Sunday or Monday." Yeah, they're, they're I feel graded. like the way that that kind of a calendar is supposed to work is they're supposed to be all the months along one side. Yeah, I, I or or so there would be a third magnet or, because then the day of the week wouldn't be dictated by where the number is because yeah, exactly the weeks would shift. It, it didn't make sense because. When you put it on a day, it's going to show you the day of the week. Yeah, yeah. I, or it, the magnet should have been different colored, like if you need, like if you had like an important day to remember or something. Yeah. Anyway, we're but we're, um, we're looking too much into this calendar. Yeah, but as MacGyver is uh, drinking the eggnog, Harry notices that he that he's wearing a bandage on his finger, which he he chalks up to one of the uh, the perils the perils of science, which we know is actually a result of when he sliced up in his finger cutting open uh, Guy Roberts' car last week. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm assuming that was a week ago, real time. In, real time, in, yeah. In MacGyver's universe, uh, Harry moves the the little circle on the calendar to December 14th. Presumably that that was the day that it is. Right. Um, but also the same day that we'll be flashing back to several times over yeah. the course of this episode. 
And it was it's, 25 years ago. It was, it, this is an anniversary of, yeah, 25 yeah. years ago. That uh, MacGyver's father and MacGyver's grandmother, Harry's wife, were killed in a car accident. Right. Um, do, we, do we know what happened to his mother? I don't think at this point it's been brought up on the okay. show at all. I mean, we know that she wasn't around based mm-hmm. on the events of Target MacGyver. Um, but we don't know exactly what happened. Yeah. Um, so we move from here to the parking structure beneath Phoenix Foundation. Mm-hmm. Um, which uh, there's a, a van with a bunch of uh, people packed into it. Yeah. Who are, three of them are actually members of the uh, Liberation. Liberation Front. And then one of them is like, she's just been hired to assist the Liberation Front in this one mission. Yeah, well, um, she she's some kind of weapons, explosives, and technological expert. She, right. They almost are building her up as the evil MacGyver. But she's kind of freelance, though. She's yeah, not she, actually a member of the Front. Right. And she's just but, working for them. But she built the bomb that they're going to retrieve. It was supposed to be detonated at LAX. Right. Um, and this the actress here is uh, Trisha O'Neill, and she's correct. playing a character named Victoria James. This week. Yes. <laughs> yeah, Victoria James is an alias, uh, and she tells the the guys in the car not to give their names, even though one of the guys reveals that his name was Carl, or he gestures to Carl. Right. But I, th- I think I determined Carl to be the guy dressed in the security uniform. Okay, so he's the guy that stays in the lobby the whole time. Yeah, because um, the other guy, Fred, gives his name later on. Right, yeah. And then the only other person is the guy who said Carl. Right. Um. But anyway, they don't. They do not like working with this woman. They yeah. Because she's not a part of their organization. She mm-hmm. doesn't think they, they. They don't think she. She is totally in line with their ideals. Yeah, and plus she's kind of rude to them. She is, but with with good reason. I would yeah, say. Yeah. Because uh, the whole reason that they're in this situation was that her bomb didn't go off because the police and the Phoenix Foundation showed up. Because again, the Liberation Front people weren't being professional enough for yeah. her. She claims that, that essentially that. They basically called the police, or they might mm-hmm. as well have called the police. That's how badly they screwed up yeah. her plan. Um, and this actress, Trisha O'Neill, um, uh, she also played Anne Kimbrough, which is the lead character in Piranha 2. Mm-hmm. Um, the James Cameron's Piranha 2? James Cameron's mm-hmm. Piranha 2, and, uh, we, we, which we discussed fairly recently because um, uh, Ricky Paul Golden from uh, Final Approach, who plays Tommy in Final Approach, was... Uh, was her son Chris in that in that movie? Okay. So, um, Tommy from Final Approach is uh, is Victoria James's uh, son in Piranha too. If you're if you're interested in looking it up, and well, I that explains I why he turned it. out so bad. Yeah, that's <laughs> uh, that the part of it at least. Um, yeah, my mom's a serial killer. All she ever cooked for me was Zoid food. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so. They have their little discussion in this van downstairs, waiting for um, Murphy to show up. Mm-hmm. At the at the moment, the all the Liberation Front knows is that her name is Murphy. Or uh, well, or that this person's name is Murphy. Yeah, they don't even know that it's a her. Yeah, that's what I meant. Like they don't they don't have a first name apparently. Um, so when Susan Murphy shows up, they're like, "Oh my gosh, it's a woman!" Like it's a crazy twist for mm-hmm. anyone other than just the audience. But <laughs> Which the, this Liberation Front should know already that, the, yeah. that her full name is Susan Murphy. Um, and immediately, uh, Victoria James exits the van and approaches her in the parking lot, which mm-hmm. is already scary. Like, yeah, anytime a stranger approaches you out of out of a van, right? Well, especially a, especially like just to walk up to you. Yeah, it's not like she was. Stepping out and then spotted her and then turned. She just immediately. Just got I got out of the, out of the car, van. Walked right up to yeah, you. Yeah, I'm getting out of the van to talk to you specifically. Yeah, um, and she gets a little bit of information out of Susan, essentially that she works on the fourth floor in demographics. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she introduces herself as Victoria James out loud, so that Susan Murphy will return the favor. Right. And then she shoots her with a silencer. Yeah. And she just collapses immediately. Right. The the henchmen do not seem to protest this killing of this woman at all. Right. Like, even though when they're in the van, they go, it's a woman. Like, you think, oh, I don't want to kill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, they seem almost hesitant. Yeah. But they they don't seem to care at all. Yeah. And then even when uh, Victoria James takes a trophy off of her. Um, yeah, she's in weird. The, in the form of her, like, like flowery kind of brooch thing that yeah. she's wearing. Yeah, she's like, just like oh, this is pretty. Um, 
I, I mean, was, it could have just been like I'm trying to be in character. Yeah, I, th- I think actually that's probably more more yeah. accurate to what she was doing. Yeah. Um, and then you know, I, I kind of it's kind of reminiscent of uh, sneakers, uh, which would be later, of uh, getting the voice, getting like the right, voice yeah. print identification. Hi, my name is Werner Brandis. My voice is my passport. Verify. So um, back at MacGyver's, though. Uh, the whole reason, one of the reasons that Harry is there is to go to a hockey game. Um, and he also, uh, Harry at this point, says that he came all the way from Minnesota to watch the game, which is um, the first tragic sign of Alzheimer's, which will be hinted at throughout this episode mm-hmm. because he doesn't live in Minnesota. Yeah. <laughs> he lives in Colorado, and he has lived there for 20 years. Mm-hmm. So I don't think that's an intentional. I think that was just a mistake mm-hmm. in the uh, script. Well, because they knew MacGyver is from Minnesota, so they're just trying to piece yeah. together back going back to Minnesota. But they forgot that last year he lived in Colorado, mm-hmm. and he makes the point that he um, has lived there for twenty years. Later in this episode, so there's no reason why um, he would have been in Colorado for Target MacGyver right, if that wasn't right. where he lived. But um, MacGyver can't find the tickets. To the right. hockey game. Yeah. Like, he's looking all around. He can't find them, and Harry's getting really upset. So they just, MacGyver figures he must have left them at the foundation. So they yeah. got to drive back to the foundation to get it. And this is while, while you know, Victoria James and her men are getting Susan Murphy, you know, shooting her, getting the voice. Um, and then they... Uh, we cut to MacGyver driving on the way to yeah, the foundation. On the wrong side of the road. Yeah, on the wrong side of the road in a shot that we see repeated, actually. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, he's driving on the wrong side of the double yellow line, which anytime I see that in a movie where it's pouring rain and a person's driving a car with no doors, I assume that's foreshadowing. But mm-hmm. it doesn't play into anything. So maybe it was just supposed to be suspenseful that you're just like, oh, look at that, he's on the wrong side of the line. Um, but he makes a joke about Harry's stubble and uh, because he's not clean-shaven. Mm-hmm. And Harry has this flashback to um, MacGyver's grandmother, making fun of his stubble yeah um what do we say her name was celia celia um is uh is harry's wife and she's complaining about his sandpaper beard Mm -hmm. and and that she wants him to shave um and then uh we come back to them in the car and macgyver says the last time that they watched a game together was 20 years ago or probably around 20 years ago which would have been five years after this event i'm assuming Mm -hmm. um and uh and then MacGyver flashes back to, or Harry Harry says, you know where, where, in, where in Sam Hill are you going? Or something mm-hmm. like that. And then MacGyver flashes back to asking his dad who Sam Hill was. Because he's misunderstanding the, the phrase. Which I've always heard it's Sam Hell. Uh, so, I don't know. Yeah, I've always heard Sam Hill. Well, it, it's funny because, and I thought maybe this is a part of their friendship, or maybe it's just rubbed off on it, but Pete uses Sam Hill in the road not taken Mm -hmm. when he says what the sam hill are we going to do or something like that when they're talking about the the helicopter when they're um when they're at the whatever the camp um but yeah i just thought it was interesting that he he used that phrase and i I always thought it was sam hill i don't know why Hmm. i do not know the origin of this phrase i thought sam hill was like the pg approximation of sam hill I, I smell a Mac fact. <laughs> uh, we'll have to look it up. Um, but yeah, so he has this flashback of talking to his dad, who we haven't seen on the show yet. So this yeah. is uh, James MacGyver we're seeing for the first time, who is Harry's son-in-law. Mm-hmm. Um, but in none of the uh, flashbacks in this episode will MacGyver's mother appear. Right. It's unclear whether or not she had passed away at this point or if she passed away after James. Mm-hmm. Um, but that'll probably be uh, fleshed out more later. Um so yeah, we move back to the parking structure, and the henchmen are talking about this previous mission that um, the Phoenix Foundation found and seized this bomb at LAX. And she's worried that because um, she has such a precise technique um, in her bomb building that they're going to be able to track it back to her. Right. And Which we learned from Viking is the worst possible thing you can do if you make a bomb so specific yeah. that it can be traced back to you. Yeah. Which I don't know why you would make a bomb that specific. First of all. Second of all, the Liberation Front hired her to go and get the bomb out. Mm. But she's the only one who's in any trouble. Why do they even care? Let her get in trouble. Well, I think because they still want to make an example. 
but they still want to blow something up because they already took responsibility for it. Like when they're looking it up in the file, that's true. In the computer, she like when when she's scrolling through all the things that says that this bomb was found at LAX, responsibility was claimed by the Liberation Front. First of all, you technically, why would you claim responsibility for a failed attack? Mm. Like I would wait until something exploded before I was like, yeah, I did that. I wouldn't be like, maybe, yeah, that was our bomb. Sorry. Maybe you didn't get enough media attention. Yeah, maybe. But um, but either way, so they they hired this woman to go finish the job essentially, but to blow up Phoenix Foundation instead of whatever part of LAX was the original plan. Mm-hmm. And um, and so they start moving into the building. Um, yeah, Victoria uh, takes out a guard um, via strangulation. But I guess not enough to kill him? Yeah, it doesn't look like she killed him. She knocks him out and then says, he should be out for a while, put him in whatever Locking elevator. Because yeah. all the elevators have locks to them. And um, so they just dump his unconscious body in one of the elevators and then lock that shaft mm-hmm. so that they can only use the other elevator cars. Um, weird to me that they decided to knock this guy out but to kill susan murphy yeah because all they needed was a recording of susan murphy's voice to get into that one room there's no reason they couldn't have just left her in an elevator shaft that was locked like the security yeah it 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 served no purpose to to kill one and leave the other one alive yeah uh it because clearly she has no problem with killing so and i mean essentially they all would have died anyway because they would have been locked in these elevators when the building exploded which mm -hmm. was the the that's true that is true um, but I still don't understand why one person was like, yes, I will shoot this person. This person I will just slightly knock unconscious. Because mm-hmm. she could just as easily have walked in and shot the guard. Exactly. No My problem was... isn't that she killed Susan Murphy. It's that she didn't kill the guard. Mm-hmm. You have the opposite problem. Yeah. Why does she have to kill anybody? And I think she should just kill everybody. Okay. Well. <laughs> <laughs> um, two, two very good points of view. Right. Um, and then uh, the replacement guard takes over one of these three henchmen with her. Um, just sits down at the desk and sends them up in uh, elevator two, um, which we have six elevator bays in the lobby, and then there's four when they go up to the eighth floor. Mm-hmm. Um, but for whatever reason, Susan Murphy has access to the eighth floor Phoenix Foundation office where she doesn't work, but maybe right. they just all have building-wide access. or Well, she has a key card, but even when you use the key card, you still need the voice print. Right. So she knew enough about the building and the layout to know that she needed a voice print, but also knew somehow to get a key card that was not personally encoded. Right. So it's like, didn't need to be Susan Murphy's key card. But didn't it? Because she has to use Susan Murphy's recording of her voice. Oh, so maybe she took the key card from her. Yeah, she, I think she okay, did take the okay. key card from her. But I just don't understand why Susan Murphy had access to that room. Oh, why Susan Murphy? Because she works on the fourth okay, floor I, I'm with you now. Not yeah. the person who assumed the role of Susan mm-hmm. Murphy. I don't know why the original Susan Murphy's card worked on the eighth floor. That's correct. That does not make sense. Because you, the access should be restricted to where people need to go. Mm-hmm. And and if even if it wasn't, why would they assume that Susan Murphy had access to the eighth floor when she works in demographics? Like, yeah. it seemed like they targeted her very specifically. They knew her name. They knew when she was going to get out of the building. Mm-hmm. Maybe they didn't. Maybe they've been waiting there all day. Um, but yeah. So then uh, she sits down at a computer uh, in the the map room, the main room of the Phoenix right. Foundation that we're pretty familiar with at this point, and starts typing. And one of her henchmen is like, "Oh, what are you doing? I thought we were just getting the bomb." And she's like, "Well, you know what you have to do before you can take a bomb or set it off." You have to find it. Mm-hmm. And so she's going through the system on the computer and uh, while everyone just sits dumbfounded that she knows how to use one. Yeah. Um, and uh, this is just about when uh, Mac and Harry arrive. Right. Uh, so they're, they're making their way up to the first floor and they get to the security and MacGyver notices the security guard's different. It's not Lou. Yeah. And, you know, the, the fake guard comes up with this. Uh, yeah, oh, he's, he's, got, out, he's out sick or something. Mm-hmm. Got a touch of the flu. Um, and MacGyver just kind of gestures to Harry and says, he's with me. Um, and they walk over to the elevators, but then MacGyver remarks that it's kind of strange that they didn't, uh, ask for ID your... from you. Yeah. He's like, oh, you told him I was your grandfather. Yeah. He told him I was with you. Yeah. But MacGyver kind of shrugs it off, but, uh, but it still he... bugs him. Like yeah. you can tell he was going to fill out a report on Monday. Like, Hey Pete, this uh, replacement card, let's have him not come back. Cause yeah. He didn't even card us. I mean, He's kind of taking MacGyver's word for it, too. Does MacGyver show ID? No. Neither he, one of them does. He, he just signs he, in. He just signs in, yeah. yeah this guard's just, like, letting anyone in. 
Yeah. Um, and so uh, the faker, though, calls upstairs and lets the rest of the group know that two men are coming up. Of course, they didn't know what floor they were going up to, unless MacGyver, signed, when he signed in, said he was going to the eighth floor. Well, he would have seen it on the elevator panel, too, right? Uh, that's true. Well, but that wouldn't, would that panel show before they get there or when they get there? I would think as soon as they push the button, he can tell where the elevator's going. All right. If he's able to, like, shut the elevators off independently, I figure he has some kind an of overhead look at everything. Yeah. So uh, Victoria continues to work under the guise that she is Susan Murphy and tells the rest of the guys to get lost. Yeah, just hide somewhere. Yeah, and one of the goons, uh, Fred, had lit up a cigarette and started smoking it before she told him to put it out. Again, presumably, because they don't, they don't want to leave any evidence behind. Right. Like, of course, the building's going to get blown up, but they should try to leave as little a footprint as possible. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so, you know, she he puts the cigarette out right next to her in the ashtray. So now that there's a, you know, uh, extinguished cigarette next to her. Right. Which is going to be important later. Trust me. Um, <laughs> I'm not just bringing up these trivial points. <laughs> We're going to tell you frame by frame what happened in this episode, and you're going to like it. So MacGyver and Harry step off the elevator. They take three steps and then turn left. MacGyver gets into the main room where, where Victoria is sitting at the computer still. Yeah. And, uh, you know, MacGyver sees, like, oh, you know, that's dedication, you know, working on a Sunday. And, uh, they and she have... makes it sound like she's panicking because she needs to get all this work done. Right. And her boss is expecting it first thing tomorrow. And so MacGyver takes the time to stop and flirt with her a bit. Yeah. And you like, can tell oh, it's just. It's a new face. I don't know this one. Yeah. And it's really upsetting Harry. Yeah. He's like, well, we need to get moving, bud. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so, like, you know, MacGyver's asking what she works on and how she does things. And finally, like, Harry convinces them and they go and start looking for the tickets. Yeah. Uh, it's during this time while they're searching Pete's office that Victoria finds the file she's looking for. Right. And, and before they step away from the computer, she tells them that she's doing some demographic work. Right. Because she's trying to stay in character as Susan Murphy. Right. So if MacGyver should, for whatever reason, like, need to look her up. He, he would see, see that she typically works in the demographics department. Yeah. Um, or just in case he even knew the name, you know? Right. Yeah, yeah. Because he's probably familiar with at least some of the people. I mean, That's she's a, taking a huge leap that oh, he wasn't yeah. going to recognize her in the first place. That was my biggest thing. As soon as she said that she was Susan Murphy, I was like, ooh, that's a that's a risky move there. Yeah. Uh, they should have had Susan Murphy be like a big, ugly woman that he would have purposely not committed <laughs> her name to memory. <laughs> you want to stay away from that lady? Oh. I've never seen you before in my life. <laughs> Typically, you are invisible. It's me. That's horrible. Uh, yeah, MacGyver, come on. Yeah. Uh, so she finds the file she's looking for amongst all the other files, including, uh, the six pounds of uranium. Yeah. It's somewhere in the building. Yeah. It's in room like 409. It's in the Phoenix Foundation building. So yeah. when this bomb goes off, they'll all be also be setting off this nuclear weapon. It's a dirty bomb, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. It's just going to throw radiation all over the place. And we also have the Moloch missile listed. Mm-hmm. in their inventory, which we had uh, in Silent World um, two episodes back, three yeah. episodes back. which I'm sure is, is research material. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so Victoria, Victoria has her information, and she deletes all the files from the computer uh, just in case, yeah, which right. is good because it ends up helping her. Um, and so she says goodbye to MacGyver and Harry and exits and meets up with her goons and asks them to contact their... Their bosses, yeah. Because she wants to make a deal for MacGyver's life. Right. To, to take MacGyver out for an added fee. Right. And so we, we're back with MacGyver and Harry in Pete's office looking for these tickets. And uh, and MacGyver's just looking everywhere, and he starts looking in files and remembers that they had been looking at a file earlier today. And so when he opens it up, sure enough, the tickets are right there on right. the front page of it. Which I don't know why he would have taken the tickets out of his yeah. pocket and put them on the front page of the. Like even if he was holding them in his hands. Yeah. Like if he was going to set them down, he wouldn't set them down in the file. Yeah. He would like be on Pete's desk. Yeah, yeah. Um, but Harry, for a while, is is accusing Pete of having stolen the tickets. Yeah. But Max, like, no, he doesn't really care about hockey. And then Harry's disgusted about Pete not caring about hockey. Yeah. Um, and then we move back to the stairwell as the as the terrorists are leaving. And uh, Fred, one of the henchmen, uh, has this briefcase phone, and he stops Victoria to let her know, hey, I'm on the phone with the Liberation Front, and they want to talk to you. 
and then she gets on the phone, and essentially they offer her $100,000 to kill MacGyver as yeah, well. Yeah, that's such a low number. For MacGyver? For MacGyver. For MacGyver, you're only worth $100,000 dead. That's not that's not really fair to him. Uh, but I apparently feel- he had he had interrupted an assassination attempt in Kuwait yeah. that these people tried to carry out. And so this is revenge for that. They want to take him out. I want to know how much Quail was paid to try to kill him. Yeah. <laughs> we'll give you $50,000, yeah. Quail. <laughs> well, Quail doesn't need much. Although he does have that entire mansion at his disposal. Yeah, I mean, how much money did he spend? He must have... Oh, of course, it was a revenge thing, so maybe yeah, it yeah. was at any price. Um, so... Uh, while MacGyver and Harry are start, trying to leave, they have like another flashback moment at the elevator. To MacGyver playing chess with Harry. Mm-hmm. And well, they kind of cover why he doesn't call him Grandpa and he doesn't yeah. call MacGyver. I mean, he calls him Bud instead of his name. Or... Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, like uh, Harry didn't like doesn't like to be called Grandpa because it sounds makes him sound old. Yeah. And even though he constantly complains that he's old throughout this whole episode. Yeah. Um. And uh, during that moment, the ele- but you know they kind of both have a flashback. What is he, or is it the same flashback? I think. Um, and uh, but the elevator hasn't come. Like it's not moving. Right. Yeah. And, and so MacGyver starts to go like this is kind of weird, and then he, he, even though it wasn't brought up in dialogue, yeah. I still fear think that they needed something because he thinks about the cigarette. Yeah. And he and he just says That's there wasn't even an insert of it. Yeah. Like I, I really feel that that something needed to be added to make for him to make that connection to the. Because honestly, I didn't even figure that out until you were just saying it. I assumed like because I totally forgot that guy even had a cigarette, mm-hmm. and I wasn't even thinking about it until you mentioned that he lit a cigarette right then. Because yeah. I was thinking, oh, are they implying that Susan Murphy had a cigarette and that it was still sitting in the ashtray, but that this woman was wearing lipstick so that it couldn't have been the same cigarette? Mm-hmm. But no, you're right. They they never they just gloss over it. Yeah. But MacGyver pieces it together and says that there was no lipstick on the, the cigarette. Uh, Demographics which, is on the fourth floor, not yeah. the eighth floor. And but but and all, yeah, so like nothing's adding up. This whole situation right. is bizarre. And uh, when they try to leave through the stairs, they see that uh, some uh, someone's coming up the stairs. Right. And to so they just like, well, we should probably just avoid this guy. Yeah. And uh, they try to hide, but uh, Harry ends up knocking over a garbage can, which gives away their position. And the and this is super tight pants guy, right? Yeah, super tight pants guy opens fire. Yeah. Uh, and starts ch- awkwardly chasing them. <laughs> yeah, and then he chases them back down to the fourth floor where demographics are actually handled. Mm-hmm. Um, and the uranium. Right. <laughs> the demographics, demographics and uranium. That's what this f- <laughs> entire floor is dedicated to. But they don't. Uh, they don't actually get off on the fourth floor. Right. They set up the door so that it'll close slower than usual mm-hmm. and then they continue down to the first floor so that when the guy gets down there he'll see the door closing slowly on the fourth floor and think that he's right behind them right um but they can't get out on the first floor either because uh the guard had put a new york lock on the door yeah i had never heard of that expression uh, I don't, uh but it, it's just a brace like it's yeah. a suction cup brace you put a suction cup on the floor and just... And the way MacGyver explains it, the harder you push the door to get it out, the tighter right. you're sealing yourself in. Mm-hmm. So they can't get out the fire escape, and so their only option is to move uh, the New York lock because the elevators are still locked down. Right. So MacGyver's first thought is an electromagnet mm-hmm. that he would be able to adjust the door lock from the other side of the door with. Even though uh, in the eraser we have seen that MacGyver can use elevator shafts on their own to get from floor to floor. Right, yes. So I don't know why that that was not an option. <laughs> Especially uh, in the Phoenix Foundation, you would think he knows their whole security system. He'd yeah. know how to get in and out. Also, you would think the Phoenix Foundation would have some kind of... Uh, spy it, spy knows only emergency system? Well, no, I was thinking like um, electronic like uh, walkie-talkies and radio, like high-frequency radio that he could actually go up to the roof Yeah, and not call. just a phone line that everyone could cut. Yeah, easily at the because uh, you know, referencing Die Hard again, you know, the radios that the terrorists were using were able to contact other frequencies, including a police frequency. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you think the Phoenix Foundation would have stuff like that too, that he could contact somebody for help or pull a fire alarm. Just get Reginald Vell Johnson at least on the outside. Yeah, turn his car into Swiss cheese. Uh, I shot a kid. <laughs> <laughs> 
that's his opening line every time someone beats him. <laughs> You've seen that video, right, where it's the, the phone call between all the characters from Die Hard? <laughs> no. Hold on. This is going to go on the blog, too. I have to show it to Richard real quick. All right, so I just filled Richard in on the magic that <laughs> yeah. is... Uh, the, 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 please put that up on the the, the correct on the Die thing. Hard sketch. It's the the deleted scene from Die Hard that uh, that you never saw, and uh, it's going to be on the blog because it's the funniest thing ever. Yeah. So. Um, yeah. But anyway, moving forward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. They should have had walkie talkies in the building. That would exactly, sense. exactly. So, uh, so now that uh, MacGyver realizes that they had to move that clock. He decides that he goes up to like I guess the kind of physics or chemistry one of the labs. Yeah, I mean it's, it seems like there's an identical lab on every floor. They just mm-hmm. kind of change the props in it every once in a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's probably like just one, the same room. Getting one of them has what looks like like an electron microscope or something like that. One of them has the robots from iRobot. Yeah. Oh my gosh. There's like a full android robot in yeah. one of these rooms. That's one of Pete's side projects that he doesn't <laughs> like to talk about. I, when's that sex bot gonna be ready? <laughs> My wife left me this next episode. <laughs> we'll cover all of that in Family Matter. <laughs> um, so uh, Victoria has now found the bomb on her floor, on the fifth right. floor. And so she starts... Not even in a combination locks. I mean, yeah. she would know the combination, but yeah. still, there should have been some kind of a trick to it. It's just in there, especially a bomb that's like so devastating that it can blow up a building. Yeah, and not only is the... Is the Briefcase not locked, but there's not even you don't even need a key to get into the cabinet. It's just mm-hmm. on a shelf in a room in an unlocked room. Anyone could have walked in there. Susan yeah. Murphy, the real Susan Murphy, could have walked yeah. in there. Yeah, we had we had uh, Jeffrey uh, Jeffrey Lewis totally like work his way into the Phoenix Foundation and work with them for months. Mm-hmm. A couple episodes back, he could easily if I mean if he can sneak into the organization, then he could have gotten onto this floor. Yeah. And if all you need is elevator clearance, you don't even have to show your ID to this new fake security guy. <laughs> He'll just send you right up. Uh, with the help of Fred, if you can call it help, uh, Victoria starts to reassemble the bomb that's been disarmed. Right. So she's got it. She's brought her her backup kit full of like circuit boards and testing equipment to make sure that she can uh, get this thing restarted. Yeah. And in the meantime, uh, Mac and Harrier in the supply closet kind of putting together to get to this like the first i guess the first real macgyverism of this episode was that uh he plans to build an electromagnet right yeah that is the first one i would say yeah which is it's a cool it's a really good one too i mean it's it's a little convenient because he has almost all the pieces that he right. needs it, he probably could have just found an electromagnetic magnet in that closet yeah um and what he's using are things that Either wouldn't actually create an electromagnet or mm-hmm. are made out of the wrong material for an electromagnet. Yeah. Like he would need something ferrous and he's using a faucet, which yeah. you wouldn't use regular iron for a faucet. Mm-hmm. Also, he's using bare wires, which you would need them to be coated. You couldn't just wrap bare wire around it because mm-hmm. otherwise the... the it would it's not the Yeah, the electricity would be conducting across the, the right, layers. Right, it right. wouldn't be wrapped around. Um, but it, it ends up working. Yeah. Um, but before that, before yeah. it ends up working, uh, the head of the Liberation Front, this group, and uh, finds him in the closet and slams the door shut and then disables the electronic lock panel to yeah. get in. See, this room had an electronic lock. Right. Why yeah. didn't the bomb room? Why doesn't room... every room have an electronic lock? Yeah, especially the bomb room. Yeah. You have the electronic rock lock on the room that has copper wire. Yeah. Well, that's dangerous, though. Yeah. And then they they start pumping in what hydrogen sulfide. Hydrogen sulfide. They they have these these uh, these f- spouts on the counter yeah. that just release hydrogen yeah. sulfide into the room. Mm-hmm. And he puts tubes on them and pushes them under the door and then puts a battery on each one to hold them in place so that he's filling this closet that he's locked them in with hydrogen mm-hmm. sulfide. Exactly. Um, and also it seems like all they would have had to have done, well, because because MacGyver tells Harry to do the thing that they did in the pilot, like. That he said wouldn't work. Yeah, wrap a shirt around your head and mm-hmm. just stay up off the ground. Yeah. Um, because hydrogen sulfide, as we looked up, is is heavier than air, so it would 
try they would stay low. Mm-hmm. I think the only reason they chose hydrogen sulfide is be, is so that MacGyver could recognize it immediately because otherwise right. he would be like, "How do you know? Like, are you a Jedi and you could just tell exactly what is coming yes, out of the walls?" Yes, yeah. Because uh, hydrogen sulfide does have a natural smell of of eggs, as opposed to natural gas, which is it is infused with that odor right. in order to alert people that there's a leak. Right. Um, and. Uh, but see, to me, like the whole point, like they're trying to get off the ground, and MacGyver's trying to figure a way out. He should have taken off his jacket and Harry's jacket and shoved it underneath that door to keep the gas out. To keep the gas out, and then they would or have had time. Taken the wire and pushed the tubes out. Like it yeah. feels like he could have moved that stuff. Yeah, I mean, it would have taken the, a little bit of time for the the gas to exchange out of that room. Yeah, but it would have given them time. Yeah. Uh, but instead... Um, As the room is filling up with an explosive gas, a highly explosive yeah, gas... MacGyver comes up with the idea to create an electronic spark by uh, just creating static electricity off of himself. And him. as he's doing it, he's giving Harry the whole Mr. Wizard treatment of like, mm. oh, well, you know how when you walk on carpet and you can zap a person, it's like, yeah, but I'm not retarded. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, what'd you tell me? I forgot. <laughs> Sorry, where are we? Where's my tractor? <laughs> Um, oh my god, my wife is dead. <laughs> <laughs> he just realized it. <laughs> he didn't even need evidence. Oh, that's so sad. Oh my god, Celia. <laughs> is this a breakdown right there in the room? Let the that, gas that, take me. <laughs> that was her name, right, Celia? <laughs> that's him asking. Uh, so they, uh, the the goon who locked him in there goes to Victoria to, to check in. Says, oh, don't worry, I took care of them. I put them in a room full of gas. And she's all, you didn't verify the kill? Like, she's she's so, like, appalled by this whole concept. Yeah. Um, tells him to go back up. And, of course, at this point, MacGyver has, uses He got a shock. spark. He used his static spark to reactivate the electric door release. Yeah. So that they could get out of the room. And somehow didn't blow them both up. Yeah, process. exactly. Um, and so Harry is in a bad way though. He's, he's gagging. He can't seem to get a good lung of air. And, uh, so he's no good anymore. Like he's, he can't, he can't go on. Yeah. So MacGyver stashes him in the women's room on the, uh, fourth floor. Yeah. Anytime you, you let MacGyver into an empty building, he's going to find an excuse to go into the ladies room. Mm -hmm. That's just his way. He doesn't kiss anyone in this episode either. He sounds really upset about that. (laughs) He was hoping for some some Mac on Harry action or something. <laughs> like he he finds an excuse. <laughs> there's to only kiss. one lady and she's pretty evil. Well, he, there's only one alive. Yeah. So, what I'm saying <laughs> <laughs> is that he should have found that van and somehow made out with Susan Murphy to bring her back to life. Mm-hmm. All right. She was only gut shot. That's she could have lived. She's probably fine. She was faking it so they wouldn't shoot her again. Mm. Lock her in a trunk. Uh. So. Uh, MacGyver goes down to the stairwell right. to put together the magnet. So right. he's, he's got the two batteries, the copper wire, and the and the we'll, we'll call yeah we'll call it the iron bar because that's what he right. calls it. But um, in the meantime, Harry can't stop coughing, and that gives him away, and uh, they end up finding him. Yeah. So uh, this is unknown to MacGyver at this point because he's still working on the lock, and uh, he gets the brace to fall. And so that lures over the uh, the fake security guard to come check it out, and MacGyver gives him the old like impact door impact knockout routine. Yeah, uh, which killed Khalil because Khalil had a gun. Yeah. I guess. Well, so did this guy, but he threw it up into the air and it fell into the planter behind him. Yeah. Um, but this guy ends up getting knocked out, and then MacGyver uses his own handcuffs to uh, handcuff him together, and then he uses. Uh, the cord that he had on the electromagnet to tie his feet uh, up. Well, well, he 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 knocks him out, and he wants to tie him up, so he runs over to the desk where there's a desk lamp. Oh, he takes the cord from the lamp. Yeah, he unplugs the lamp, and he cuts the cord, and he's getting ready to tie him up, and he like, rolls him over onto his stomach, but then he sees that he has handcuffs. So he and you can see like this look of like, ah, I should have checked that first. Yeah. But then he so he handcuffs him, but then he's, you see this moment where he goes, well, I cut this wire. Yeah. I'm using it. And I'm so going to have he, a really hard time putting this in the budget for this mission if yeah. I don't explain the use for it. Um, so he then hog ties this, this fake guard. Yeah. Um, and uh, when he goes and tries to find Harry, Harry's obviously gone. Yeah. 
And uh, Victoria announces over the intercom that not only does she have Harry, but Harry is right with the bomb, and the bomb's reactivated, and he has He's 15... sitting, like, basically on top of it, yeah. she says. And he has 15 minutes to find Harry to deactivate the bomb, or he's free to leave, though. Yeah. If he, if he, if he chooses to abandon Harry. Which I think this is, was her first mistake, was finding Harry and putting him in the same room with the bomb, because if she hadn't done that, then mm-hmm. MacGyver and Harry might have been like, well, it's just a building. Yeah. We'll leave. It's the safe thing to do. Yeah. But because she puts bomb, the bomb and Harry in the same room, then MacGyver has no choice to at least try for it. Mm-hmm. And otherwise, you know, he, they would have just left the building yeah. and her plan would have gone on without a hitch. Without a hitch. Oh, but two other things I forgot to mention. that are my, two, One of them is my favorite thing and the other one's a weird thing. But um, she she's working with Fred to put the bomb together and she, she gets it ready. Yeah. And then she tells Fred to go grab her that wire and then she comes up behind him and strangles him. Yeah, from but, behind. But, but the strangling motion is like he, he's just kind of going, eh. He's not even trying to fight it. Yeah. Like he's not trying to fight her. And then she just slowly sets him down on the ground. Yeah. And he's and, like, dead, he's, apparently. Uh, yeah, he either he's either knocked out or dead. But he's still like conscious when he hits the ground. And he just kind of goes, eh, eh. <laughs> yeah. And then um, when the other guy comes back... Um, and that's where Fred is. Super tight pants guy. Yeah, super tight pants. She turns her gun on him. She's already got Harry tied up. And when she pulls the hammer back on the gun, the gun is must have been mounted to something solid. Because the gun has absolutely no motion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She, she, the only explanation I have for it is that she wasn't comfortable pulling the hammer back with one hand. She mm-hmm. wanted to do it two-handed. But she does it later. Does she? Yeah, when she has MacGyver at the computer room. Well, maybe they just needed an insert of the hammer moving, and they, that was the closest they could get the, ha- the yeah, camera. Yeah, maybe she was gun. shaking it too much. Yeah. She says, well, we're just going to mount it. Or or it, maybe she had it sitting on. But if she had it sitting on something, the, the torque motion of pulling that hammer back would have tilted. There's absolutely no motion on yeah. this gun. It's it's literally like sitting in a vice mm-hmm. so that she can pull the hammer back with her thumb. But I, I think it's more for just so that they had an insert of it. Yeah. It looks weird. It's because they want you to know how a gun works. They want you to know that you have to pull this hammer back, and that when you pull the trigger, the hammer comes forward mm-hmm. and ignites the cartridge that fires the bullet. Yeah. Also rotates the cylinder. Right. In this particular case. Yeah. When you pull it back. Yeah. Um. So yeah, and so and then she kills tight pants. Right. And so there's no one left except you know the guard is downstairs is unconscious, but both of them. Yeah. The real one and the fake. Yeah. One. It would be funny if MacGyver went to throw him in the elevator shaft and was like, oh, there's already a guard in here. That's Lou. Oh, no. <laughs> uh, Feel better, Lou. <laughs> Stay away from me, though. I heard you have flu. flu. <laughs> That's why they call him Flu. Flu Lou. Uh, Victoria's activated the bomb 15 minutes on the clock. And uh, one of my favorite kind of like little inside jokes of this is that she scoots Harry up in his wheelchair to face the bomb and she goes like because the whole thing is about, about them trying to get their hockey even tickets. though she doesn't know about the hockey thing yeah oh does she um maybe they mention it when they come yeah in. i can't remember if they mention it or not uh but i like the joke like like you want a good seats here they are kind of thing yeah and uh harry has a flashback of the ticking clock which reminds him of like this grandfather clock that they had in their mm-hmm. house and uh MacGyver is upstairs trying to find the bomb on the computer system. I guess assuming that if she got the bomb, she didn't move it far from where it was located. Yeah. But uh, he also was talking about time and time slowing down or speeding up when you don't want it to. Yeah. And so he has a mini flashback of just the clock ticking and the grand, you know, Harry having like this worried moment with him and hugging him. But Harry's flashback is a lot more important in the sense that there's a knock at the door and there's a state trooper and lets Harry know that Celia and James have drowned when their car went over the into a river. Yeah. Into a creek or a river. And since then, MacGyver has sworn that none of his cars would have doors. Yeah. So that if he ever drove into a river, he'd be able to escape unharmed. <laughs> um, in this flashback, the kid that plays young MacGyver, his name is Sean Donahue, and he's the first of three uh young men who will play uh macgyver in flashbacks over the course of the episode mm-hmm. i think the next time it happens is in blood brothers okay um when we have 
um, Ramon come back from. Wow, is that long until we have a young MacGyver? I, I think so. Yeah. Wow, that's that's way late. Um, and yeah, that's. I think that's. Is that season four? It's definitely Canada. I think it's four or five, um, and. But the three actors who play young MacGyver are named Sean, Sean, and Shane, which I just <laughs> thought was interesting. Um, and the character who in this flashback is playing the uh, the state trooper, the actor's name is John Davey, and he played Captain Marvel on Shazam. Yeah. In a lot of Shazam. Um, he, he was also in a couple crossovers that Shazam did with, like, a show called Isis that was about, like, the Egyptian queen. No, things not, like that. Not about that. Not not so much about uh, Archer. Also, uh, one last credit I, I thought I should touch on: uh, MacGyver's father uh, in this episode, um, where we're revealing, I think, for the first time that his father's name is James MacGyver. Mm-hmm. Um, it's credited. Uh, uh, the actor's name is Phil Redrow, and um, among his credits uh, is he played Naked Man in Body Double. Which I can only assume is the same scene that had former guest of the show Rob Paulson. Okay. Where Rob Paulson is a cameraman on a porn set. <laughs> so, I'm. I don't Interesting. Know. <laughs> but um, it seems like we have another MacGyver person that was also in Body Double. Yeah. So that's fun. MacGyver is, uh, again, he's trying to search the computer system to figure out where the bomb might be in the building. Yeah. Uh, but the file's been erased. So. He gets on the intercom and uh, oh wait no we haven't done the fight yet right oh uh, that's no, coming up that's coming right up yeah sorry I got ahead of, I got reversed ahead of myself um, Victoria walks in and and because she wasn't entirely convinced that MacGyver would would leave or may have had time to def- disarm the bomb if he's lucky enough to find it yeah and uh, they they have one of those hero villain moments like we're not so different you and I both professionals and. Uh, she's gonna shoot him, but MacGyver kind of casually picks up this ruler, like is just playing with it, like nervously. Yeah, kind of like he did with the toothpaste in that one episode. Yeah, or I think a ruler also in the assassin when he slaps it to launch the phone at the guy mm-hmm. in the basement. And then, uh, so she pulls back the hammer again. No insert this time. Um, and so MacGyver just throws himself at her and wedges the ruler in between the hammer and the cylinder. So that she can't actually get a shot off. Yeah. And then she throws the gun away, and then a completely one-sided kung fu fight ensues mm-hmm. where she's just beating the crap out of MacGyver. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he uses uh, the joke I think he used in, in The Assassin also where he just says, give up, and when he's clearly like losing a fight. Mm-hmm. Um, he may have also said it when he's fighting Tia Carrera in Wish Child. I can't remember now. But um, he's really good at losing fights in an entertaining yeah. way. And, uh, yeah, and so she just keeps kicking him around the room, and he's really not fighting back at all. They get through the door back into Pete's office, and... Uh, and she's, like, all disappointed that the fight's not going so well, yeah. well for him. And uh, he's kind of collapsed under the this giant bay of windows at the mm-hmm. front of the building. Which, if you've seen the exterior of the, of the Phoenix Foundation building, you know that there's these columns that run the, the height of the building. Right. And so we're, we understand that Pete's office is in Corner the office. outside column. Yeah. yeah. Which we, the view we're seeing out of this window is like skyscrapers, which is supposed to be like presumably the skyscrapers of Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. But the actual view of this is an identical building across a small. Okay. Like a, there's like a courtyard in the middle and then the same building on the opposite side. All right. So that's what he would actually be seeing out of his window. But uh, yeah, she she gears up for a mega kick. Yeah, a, a, a flying two foot kick. Essentially, a suicide kick. Mm-hmm. Because even if she landed this how she intended to, she would be kicking MacGyver out the window and falling with him. Yeah. But she doesn't even aim for MacGyver. Yeah, she she completely MacGyver doesn't dive out of the way. Yeah, this is just she's really off. Yeah, she she her, her closing line is "I really have to be going," and then she just kills herself essentially. Yeah. She just jumps out the window of the 8th floor of this building, and MacGyver just, like, stoically watches her fall to the ground. Yeah. And then turns around and goes back to the computers, like, all right, anyway, uh, there should be a backup on these computers, so now I need to find the backup. And so he's asking Harry, uh, he he goes on to the intercom, which is still working. And he says, I need to know where you are. It'll take me too long to to check the whole building. Yeah. So he's asking Harry to try to give him a signal if he can, and so Harry's 
has been slowly filing his uh, leg ropes right uh, against, against the, the, of the hard chair. edge of the chair. Mm-hmm. And uh, then he rolls himself over to a phone, which he kicks off the receiver and then starts stomping on the keypad in, in intervals of five. Right. Which MacGyver interprets to be the fifth floor. Yeah, correctly. Yeah. Um, and uh, so he still has to search the floor, but he he's pretty quick at finding him. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so he unties Harry and they see that they don't have enough time to uh, get out of the building before the bomb goes off. Which I argue, I think they might. Yeah, the, but, what if they had like a minute and 12 seconds or something? Yeah, and they're on the fifth floor... Like, even, that that would mean it would take them more than 20 seconds per floor Yeah. to walk down a flight of stairs. I don't yeah. know. But um, anyway. and Maybe uh, you can't actually leave from the lobby floor. Maybe you have to go to the parking structure. That's then, true. If yeah. the doors are locked and they don't have a key to get in. Yeah. Out. But uh, so MacGyver sees that the tight pants is dead in the room. And uh, there's this really weird delivery because Harry says – she killed him without batting an eye, and MacGyver kind of looks at Harry and goes, "Yeah, well, she's dead now." <laughs> like, yeah. like, like he took some kind of weird pleasure in killing her. Yeah. Or in watching her die. Yeah. Like it, it was. A, it's a very strange. I don't. I don't like it. I really don't like the line. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Well, she's dead now. Yeah. It's like. That's really ominous. Did you murder that person? <laughs> yeah. You should explain that she killed herself, mm-hmm. and then explain further why that happened, even as hard as it is to explain. Yeah, I saw it happen, and I can't really explain it. <laughs> no one's gonna buy it, MacGyver. You clearly threw this one. Sure, she out just a jumped out a window. Sounds like something people do. You could say you threw her out a window just because she's a woman doesn't mean you can't yeah, throw her out I a mean, window. She was trying to kill you, MacGyver. It, no, no, no. I swear, she just jump kicked the window out. <laughs> okay, MacGyver, uh, no, I'm I... gonna put it down. I'm writing that down here. This is an official report. I have to sign this, MacGyver. <laughs> that means that I believe what you said here today. Uh, so uh, the bomb is really sensitive. Like, you can't move it. You can't jostle it around too much. You can't even move around near it. Yeah. That's what she warns Fred earlier. So uh, MacGyver's trying to find some way of, like, interrupting the circuit or breaking the wires, but he can't get any tools in deep enough to, to do that. Um, the only spot that's is open is where the uh, metal contacts are. And uh, so he grabs one of the hockey tickets from Harry and just slides it in there in hopes that it'll inter- it'll be enough to interrupt the circuit. Uh, and it is. You know, that it goes click and just grabs the, the hockey ticket and that's it. The bomb doesn't go off. Yeah. Now, I'm still imagining the bomb would go off if it was moved or jostled too much. That's possible. Otherwise, he would just take it to the game, right? Yeah. Just hand it to them in the bomb. I mean, it, it is, it's disarmed in a sense, but it's still, any any little, like, if that piece of paper, if, like, the pinching of that paper eventually, like, gets too close, I don't know how much arcing it could do through paper. It could probably yeah, yeah, arc yeah. through paper, I would think. Unless it's, like, a static-proof ticket. Yeah. As a counterfeiting strategy or something. But, uh, you know, hopefully... Like, and yeah, again, like, how does Harry expect to get out to the game? Because he says, I'm going to go make that hockey game. How's he going to get there? He, he expects MacGyver to drive him there. I don't think there's any qualms <laughs> there. He's like, you're going to drive me to this game, and then I'm going to come back out and tell you how it was. Yeah, for five minutes. The five minutes that was left. Yeah, I'll tell you what happened while I was going in as everyone was leaving. Someone describe the last few minutes of the game for me? <laughs> um, the, uh, the fifth act, um, oddly enough, does not have any um, closing about the situation. It's yeah. just Harry going home. It, yeah, we never see any evidence that the police were involved in this whole thing. Yeah, or that the bomb was defused. No, no checking in with Pete. Um, even though Dennis, that would be crazy if MacGyver drove him to the game, and they just left a dead woman out in front of Phoenix Foundation and all these bodies all over the building. Yeah, and unconscious still in the elevator. In the elevator. And the next morning, everyone's like, "Oh, it must have been a rager out here." <laughs> Uh, dead woman in a trunk, dead woman outside who clearly was thrown out a window. <laughs> Very clearly. His fingerprints up and down this leg. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, the, yeah, the closing act is uh, MacGyver getting ready to say his farewells to Harry, who's packed up and ready to go. And by now, this is the, the following morning, mm-hmm. which is presumably December 15th, the, the actual air date of our previous episode. Yeah. So, yeah, we have a theory that... It was this episode was maybe supposed to air 
earlier. Yeah. Because why 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 pick such a specific date otherwise? Well, I mean, it makes sense to have it be in the Christmas season at least. But, and and the fact that he's making eggnog in January just makes me angry because it's like I want eggnog in January. <laughs> it's not anywhere. Yeah, stock up, man, or learn to make it. You can make yeah. it. I'm sure you can make it. I could also just buy it. <laughs> I'm gonna go buy it right now. But uh, the the closing joke of the episode is that MacGyver is gonna go with Harry, and Harry's like, "What are you doing?" It's like, "Well, I'm going with you." For starters, you packed half of my things into your bag. Yeah. Uh, and plus, really a, insensitive joke. Yeah. Uh, and plus that he just wants to spend some time. With I'm her. gonna hang out with you because your brains don't work right. Yeah. Wah wah. And that's the episode. I mean, it's, you know, it, it's, it's a, a fun one. It's got a lot of wacky stuff. Yeah. It, the character of Victoria James is just so, so evil and so mean to her henchmen, much like uh, Talbot was in the, in the Three for the Road. Yeah. Um, but it's just like this weird dynamic of, I don't want to work with these people. These people don't want to work with me, but I got to do this. And I do like the, uh, the odds of like MacGyver versus you know four people, and I also really like, and I'm surprised it took this many episodes to get to an actual like home field battleground, like mm-hmm. an actual fight at the Phoenix Foundation. Yeah, the closest oh, yeah. we've had was Enemy Within. Like DXS had been like interfered with, mm-hmm. and and all these agents were getting killed, but no one was actually getting killed in the Phoenix Foundation building. Right, right. Which it's cool to see that actually happening here. And it's good to have Harry back mm-hmm. and get a little bit more of the backstory of what happened to MacGyver, you know, his origin story. Yeah, yeah. And for all this Phoenix Foundation activity, there's not a single sign of Pete in this episode. Yeah, just uh, his office. Mm-hmm. But other than that, yeah, he doesn't even he doesn't even get a phone call anywhere. You just want, like, the next morning, like, the phone rings and then it just cuts to Pete mm-hmm. in his office is like, Hey, Mac, you want to explain to me why my window's completely kicked out and there's a dead woman on the first floor? <clears throat> oh, Pete. I don't know, Pete, what you do in your personal time is none of my business. <laughs> uh, who's smoking up here? Uh, anyway. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's an okay episode. Um, yeah. like, like I said, like there, there's a couple of really slim moments, but... Uh, and when this episode originally aired, the title was misspelled in the... That's so strange. Yeah, that it was S-E-I-G-E. You know, like you, I type up all my notes for this. Yeah. And I kept spelling Siege wrong. Yeah. And well, so did whoever was in charge of the opticals for this episode. Yeah. Because, um, you can tell a little bit when you're watching it on Netflix, at least, that the font is slightly off uh, from the original broadcast, because they, they have since corrected the issue. I'll have to recheck the DVD to yeah, see if... Depending on when the DVD came out, too. Mm-hmm. If it's um, been fixed. Yeah. Also, uh, happy birthday to me. What? This episode is coming out on my birthday. Oh. <laughs> I was like... <laughs> oh, my God. Did I forget? Yeah. No, because you fooled me already one other time this year <laughs> or with your birthday. So I don't know what you're... Now, I don't take your birthday threats seriously a anymore. Fun, a fun prank for our listeners if, you, if you'd like to take part in this. Uh, change your birthday on Facebook to April 1st, and then people will spend all day saying happy birthday to you, and then you can tell them that it was an April Fool's Day joke, and then they'll never say happy birthday to you again for the rest <laughs> of your life. So uh, so that's a fun prank. But today, uh, this episode should be uh, airing September 4th, which is my actual birthday. Okay, I'm making so, a note. Happy birthday to me, folks, and potentially my new son <laughs> we're expecting a kid around then so um i think the due date is the 11th but uh my daughter showed up a week early so maybe he'll be a week early yeah but we're recording a little bit in advance right now so that we can hopefully not miss out on any episodes for you the listener we're gonna mm-hmm. try and keep a good bank going so that uh so that we can not miss a week right we'll, we'll right. see how we can stick to that but that's the plan anyway at the moment so um or one, one and a half seasons in we've done pretty good yeah we haven't missed a week yet so that's exciting. Um, yeah. So let's keep that streak going. Um, I think that about wraps it up for Phoenix Under Siege. Mm-hmm. Um, if you'd like to chat with us about this or future episodes, you can find us on Twitter at Opening Gambit. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Phoenix Foundation Podcast. And as always, you can find us on our website, phoenixfoundationpodcast.com. And uh, tune in next week. We're going to be covering 
season one, episode 12, Family Matter. Okay. So we get a little bit more of Pete's origin story. Yeah, which, sort of. which it's time. It's time for that. Yeah, and, and it's kind of crazy to think that we haven't even had a single mention of a former wife or a son. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we'll be introduced to both of those characters next week. So you have that to look forward to. Um, and thank you for listening. Thank you. I shot a kid. Thank you.